This podcast was recorded before the announcement of a new funding deal with the federal government. The new funding deal will be discussed on next week's episode. Western Teacher Live, talking about public education, unionism and much more. Hello and welcome to Western Teacher Live, the podcast of the State School Teachers Union of Western Australia. It is 2024 and we're back for more and it's going to be a very, very big year for public education. We seem to say that every year, but uh, there is federal funding decisions coming. We, we would think there is a, a major general agreement negotiation going on and a man who can give us all the details about all of those issues and many, many more, is Matt Jarman, the President of the State School Teachers Union of Western Australia. Matt, welcome back. Our first podcast of the year, and the year is off to a heck of a start with uh, the union issuing directives about actions that members should take. Thank you, Bob. Uh, Well, we always knew that that was going to happen. Uh, Once we knew that on December the 6th, 2023, There was no offer and therefore no agreement in principle. So we are actually tracking the same uh, timeline as what we did in 2019 and 2022. And I think members should feel confident in in that. Uh, But we are exactly where we thought we would be. And as we discussed where we would be at the June and then uh, the November uh, state councils last year in the lead up to this round of bargaining. And, and the truth of it is that there is a formula to these things, isn't there? There's a process that it tends to follow. The only slight difference this time was normally the union would issue these directives two or three weeks out from the end of term um, and, and looking forward to the new school year for when they'd be implemented. Slightly different this time because the decision on the state wages policy was late in coming. So that was basically the only difference. So what's the next stage? What's happening right now in terms of negotiations? Well, right now we continue to uh, negotiate in good faith and I'd like to underline that uh, to our members. We have responded to each and all of the government requests going back to December when we finalised the presentation of our full log of claims. Uh, That took us from about October through to the beginning of December. On from that, the department asked us to present our log of claims uh, with a summary of what they referred to as no-cost items. Um, And we did that during December, and then they asked us after that um, to come back to them with a a more uh, detailed analysis of some of our higher costing items, which we did on January the 9th. Uh, So at no point in time have we resubmitted our claims, as was incorrectly reported uh, through the media. What we have done is followed government requests and then uh, compiled some summaries um, to help uh, the government prepare an offer, which, as we sit here today, uh, we're still looking forward to receiving and I anticipate that we'll receive one shortly. And and probably for clarity, what we need to just go through is that that the directives are issued because the current agreement has finished, it's gone, it's not even current anymore, it's the old agreement. Um, and then a new agreement needs to be agreed, and there is, that is preceded by an agreement in principle. So these actions, these directives, which executive is, is issued, refer to fact that because no agreement in principle has been reached by the 25th of January 2024, that's why the directives are issued. It's, it, it's really, let's be honest, it's a hurry up um, for the government in particular and for the Department of Education to get a move on and make an offer. However, that will not be 
um, uh, the the final stage because the offer might be rejected, it might be accepted in principle, goes to members for a vote and then comes back. So there's quite a few stages to go through. So the industrial actions that um, the SSTUWA is directing members to take is that no member is to participate in any performance management or performance review processes. That includes the principal professional review process, um, and it refers to performance management only. It doesn't include substandard performance processes, which are a different thing. And uh, the second part of the directive is members are not to attend any whole or part of staff meetings held in accordance with Clause 9.3 of the General Agreement, um, outside instructional hours before or after school during lunch or recess, Uh, For school leaders, this includes regional cluster and network meetings. And third dot point is during dot time. Now, there are some important clarifications there. This does not include meetings called to manage critical events. And it does not include school development day meetings. Um, And uh, to further clarify that, uh, what what is covered by this directive is committee meetings, learning area meetings, planning assessment and reporting meetings, network or cluster meetings, communications meetings, including those held before school at recess or during lunch. What is not covered is the uh, critical instance we mentioned, individual parent meetings, trade-off professional learning, student individual case meetings, union meetings, um, and the um, that, that's pretty much the areas. If you need any clarification, please go to the uh, SSTUWA website. It's all there on your member hub, and there is extra info for reps who are very important in this process. And there is also a copy of a letter that was sent to all principals, whether they are members of the SSTUWA or not, to outline what the directives are and how they will impact. Matt, these seem to be designed very deliberately to minimise the impact on pupils and parents, but to make the point that the union needs progress in these negotiations. Well, they are, Bob, but there are two uh, bands, obviously, the second one being uh, performance management meetings, which also include our school leaders as well. Look, as a principal for 22 years, every meeting I ever had with staff, whether it be curriculum, phase team meetings, whole of staff meetings, or meeting with EAs, whatever the case was, every one of those meetings is important in greasing how your school is operating, particularly important at the beginning of the year. So these bans are going to have impact. I'm bemused by comments uh, that they are not important because if they aren't important, then I think it begs the question from every member and every teacher across the state, if the meetings aren't important, why do we have to have so many of them and why do we have to go to so many more of them year upon year? So that's a question that perhaps we can resolve during bargaining. But the impact of these stage one directives is to get the government's attention that we are serious in 2024 with bargaining. Uh, We are very, very serious after four years' worth of $1,000 capped wage suppression and the cost of living impact that that has had for teachers who are professional people and our school leaders and how we won't tolerate that going forward. We're also quite aware that the WA state government has a significant budget surplus and that we are the first large public sector union that the government is negotiating with. So all of this is in the mix right now. And we really need uh, the government to come forward with a a quality initial offer. Now, should that not happen or should our executive reject that first offer and it doesn't go to our membership for ballot, then we have got a um, compiled 
a list of options for stage two and possibly stage three and even stage four uh, workplace bans that we can put into place. The agreement expired on the 5th of December 2023. As a union from the December 6 onwards, we're in every right and protected to hold union and industrial bans, and we will continue to escalate those bans until such time that our membership speaks that the, the, the offer is acceptable, and then we have an agreement in principle. So until that point is reached, we have an escalation um, mindset pending the quality of the offer from, from government, and we just really hope... And, and we have to, and we continue to act in good faith with, with the government that they have read facing the facts, they've read their own workload reduction report, and they realise the issues that we have in our public school system and that they, if they are really genuinely, and I believe they are at this stage of negotiating, if they really do want to make public education the desirable place to be teaching, then they need to come forward with that in, in the quality of the offers made. And you refer there to those two reports, and, and it's really interesting, isn't it? This is a quote. Our analysis indicates that the problem goes to the more fundamental question of whether the job of teaching, as currently performed and organised, is doable and sustainable. Now, that isn't the view of a union on behalf of its members or, or uh, someone who's an outside critic or an outspoken critic of the public education system. That quote comes from Understanding and Reducing the Workload of Teachers and Leaders in Western Australia, Western Australian Public Schools, a report commissioned by the Department of Education. Their own commissioned report, which costs them a fair chunk of public money, um, is laying down the issues. Is this the chance through the general agreement um, to address a whole series of those issues in a, in a sensible and cooperative way? And, and what I'd like to also remind members is that that particular report was was written by two internationally very well respected educators. Uh, so that isn't a, a report that should be taken lightly, nor should the Carmen Lawrence report. Forty six recommendations in the Carmen Lawrence facing the facts report are, are effectively overlapped by the minister's own report into workload reduction and what the problems are in our public education system. So it obviously leads us to the point where we say, well, if everything is saying the same, surely the government response is going to match that, is going to consider that, and it's going to make sure that we do something about fixing education as we see it in our public schools. Uh, we will continue to work on facing the facts right up into and past the next state election. Uh, we have a high profile around that report. I notice uh, the opposition spokesperson has an opinion piece in the, in the West uh, this week as well. Again, that's highlighting facing the facts back to the community. We, just ne we need to have confidence that the government is, is aware of that and is going to respond to that through this bargaining and hopefully through um, a future federal funding agreement as well. And, and to be fair to, to the Minister too, once he realised the impact facing the facts that whole review process was having on the debate about education, public education in the community, he did respond with, by directing the department to come up with that uh, independent review of its own. So two documents saying the same thing. It does seem reasonably obvious that there's some, uh, the, the issues are being identified. What you need now is solutions. At the moment, we certainly do need to recognise that Minister Booty has publicly acknowledged facing the facts. He, of course, came to the launch and received the report. Since that time, he's formally recognising facing the facts where he didn't need to, but he chose to. And we welcome that. But, of course, what we're talking about here 
is converting these words into some actions and what members will only tolerate, and I'm with them on that, is that these 46 recommendations become actioned. And that's what we need to work upon with the government, whether it be through the bargaining, through federal funding or, or through the next election cycle, to make sure that we end up fixing public education, which is what every teacher, parent and student really wants us to do. Well, they certainly do. I mean, there's studies around um, very detailed voter studies. So the voters understand this. They understand the need for smaller class sizes. I just want to take you in that process because elsewhere there's been this, ha-ha, gotcha. You, you've got to, you say there's a teacher shortage, um, but what you want is more classes, smaller classes. That's going to result in a need for more teachers. Isn't that a, a contradiction? Why isn't it a contradiction? Well, if we don't do something about what's happening in our classrooms then we're going to have even less teachers in even a very shorter period of time than we wish to, to think about. The teacher shortage across the country is enormous. In, uh, we've acknowledged across the world it's enormous. In Queensland right now, there is industrial action because of the teacher shortage. Schools are closing down. So we need to accept the reality that we have, and that is to address what's driving the teacher shortage, its workload, and it's because we're stuck in this paradigm, 40-year-old class size uh, perspectives, and we need to address that as well. The students who came to our classrooms in 1983, 1984 are very different to who's coming into our classrooms in 2023, 2024. Different profile, different demands, community needs are different yet we're stuck in this draconian approach to class sizes. So we need to adjust that, and we also need to deal with the other very pertinent workload issues that come with uh, the different demographic that we have in our schools, and we've had in our schools for some time. We haven't been able to get there. We're now closer than we've been in, in recent years, and we need to continue to work with the government to help them understand what it is that are going through the, view, the eyes of our teachers. And that's why they're leaving or reducing their hours or taking up positions in the private school industry uh, where they do have reduced class sizes and they market themselves upon having that. And they also have less of the challenges uh, on most occasions than we do in our public schools. And uh, that's on, on the state level, of course, all, all vital stuff and very important. On the national level, funding is going to be the key issue in 2024, federal election in 2025 and a state election. Uh, and while for those of us outside the political world, that seems a long way off, for politicians, it's tomorrow. Um, and we are seeing some movement at the national level, but it does seem that there's a little bit of, um, well, let's call it what it is, backsliding going on about commitments to 100% um, of funding um, for public schools in accordance with the Gonski report minimum levels. It's looking a bit like or potentially that the, the percentages won't be quite like that. What, what's the union's position on that? Well, just like the state government here in Western Australia commissioned their own report into workload, which said effectively what Facing the Facts said, the federal government also commissioned a report into federal funding, and that equally said we need to fund every public school at 100%. So the government's own federal report has come out and said we need all public schools to be funded at 100% minimum. Our concern, of course, is that there's been nothing since that report came out in early December. And the longer time passes, the more concern grows that there's going to be a state or a territory who agrees to less than 100%. If that happens, then we have a domino effect that could potentially come in play and other states will follow. State governments may be attracted to that because state governments who don't have as much income as, say, Western Australia does may say, well, we can afford 96%, but we can't afford 
and they therefore contribute on a lower scale. Federal government gets out of it cheaply as well. So there is a lot of concern around federal funding and until every state and territory is at 100% minimum for every public school student, then I don't think we should rest and we should be very wary that any state or territory government may do a side deal. Uh, so your, your, your phrasing is quite correct, Bob. Uh, it's something that the AU and this branch of the AU is united and strong around and, and very committed to one another on. We have written to every Fed, um, state minister and as of last week, so that's the 19th of January, uh, I wrote to the Premier uh, with the AU president's signature alongside urging him to make sure that West Australian public school students receive 100% funding and going forward as immediately as possible. Um, and one of the things I think people don't realise, WA <coughs> excuse me, actually suffered worse uh, than many other states under this deal, which was done under initially the Morrison and then uh, Turnbull and then Morrison governments, because the Gonski recommendation with states like WA, with their extensive range of remote schools, which have special requirements, should be getting 105% of its funding. So instead of that, the new agreement was that the states would contribute up to 75%. The federal government would contribute 20%. Now, my parents, if they were still around, would um, testify to the fact they spent a lot of money to try and get me to understand maths. But I do get that that only adds up um, to 75 plus 20 is 95%. But it actually gets worse because in that same process the federal government allowed the state governments to count what was then an additional 4% of funding as part of their 75. In effect, that takes another 4% out of the funding for state schools from the state government and delivers you... So, so the current situation is Western Australian schools are getting 91% uh, of their funding. Is that right? That's spot on. And uh, just to initially recognise that... What Morrison did as both Treasurer and then Prime Minister over 10 years is generation damaging. And we are left with that mess. Uh, we talk about all the other kinds of rorts, but really, when you look at what the impact and value of education is, what's happened to federal funding over the last 10 years has been absolutely generationally damaging. Uh, we need to reverse it. So yes, the state government is supposed to be contributing 75%. They contribute 71 4% get shaved off. Uh, to pay for the Curriculum Authority. Now, Which every used to be funded separately. We used to be funded separately, and the Curriculum Authority is paid for, therefore, by the public school student. But the Curriculum Authority is accessed by the independents, the Catholics, and the public school system. The Catholic school system and the independents don't pay for what they're receiving. Only the public school student is, is paying for that. So the other part of the 4% that gets shaved off goes to something that's called capital depreciation tax, which, uh, as I read in The Age recently, is just referred to as accounting trickery. So you have accounting trickery and a curriculum authority that takes us from 75% down to 71%. The federal government under Morrison only contributes 20 What we're looking for is for a, an agreement that commits every state and territory government to fund its full percentage so that 4% that goes to the curriculum authority and whatever capital depreciation tax is gets paid for by some other bucket of money. Our public school kids get 75% from the state government to the state school and the federal government agreement goes from 20 to 25%. 
our concern is that the federal government will tell state governments, don't bother with the 4%, agree to sign up to less, and therefore we all walk out of an agreement paying less. Yes, schools will still be short from 100%, but we've all got away with paying less. So I'm concerned that one of the directions this can go is that any state or territory government around may agree to such lower uh, agreement options. And if that's the case, the AU is going to contest quite bitterly with the federal government, and we will be part of that through the branch. And the uh, time frame for that, the original agreement was supposed to expire at the end of 2023, I think I'm correct in saying. Um, in actual fact, that was then... Um, not secretly, but certainly below the radar, was extended for a further twelve months. So, so that will now will not ex- uh, that the current agreement, leaving schools so short of funding, won't even expire until the end of twenty twenty four. So, there's plenty of time though. The, the upside of that is there's lots of time for parents to get involved, lots of times for teachers to get involved, for school communities to get involved. What should they be doing, Matt, to make sure that their local state and federal MP is aware of what the, the, of what's happening and of the urgent need to fix it? Uh, well, we have members and we have non-members who have approached us and said we are sick to the core of where things are at with public education. And they've, on some occasions, some of those people have written to the local members and quoted facing the facts and asked the local members, what are you doing about this? And similarly, they've also written, uh, once they've understood this, I've been invited to speak at various meetings around the state um, to parent groups and all sorts of things. Once they understand the federal funding inequity, they then take action themselves. And that may include uh, contacting their local or or federal member. Uh, We can only ask and hope that that kind of support, because what is at the core of all of this is this deeply simplistic model of inequity. The simple truth is the public school student is receiving about $1,800 per student less every single year than what the student attending the independent or private school is receiving. So my former primary school with about 650 students, multiply that by 1,800 and you get into millions of dollars very quickly that that local primary school should be receiving that they're not getting that the private or Catholic school is receiving. So it's a very, very simple model of inequity and that's the damage that Morrison's caused and that's what we're trying to reverse. We're not asking for more. It needs to be kept in mind we're asking for the same. It's absolutely galling to me that public school students, the most needy in many cases across our school and education system, don't even have the basic equity of the minimum standard. And you're correct. WA in the original Gonski funding, like the Northern Territory, was targeted for 105%. And the reason why we were 105% was because of the size of the state and the very small populations scattered across the state. That was the democratic fe- demographic feature that said WA should have 105%. And the interesting thing, isn't it, is that, that we're, we're talking about all sorts of different efforts now to address what is the, the current buzz phrase, cost of living issues. Um, and yet some parents feel compelled to pay ten or $15,000 a term to send their kids to a private school when the evidence would sh- suggest that in a, a, a decent economic area with fully funded p- 
public schools, you would be able to deliver equal, if not better, results in the public school system as in the private school system. This could be the most effective cost of living measure the government could take to fully fund public education. And also a recognition of the importance of education. Let the market decide. Fund all schools and all students onto the same level and then let's see what the schools can do against each other. Because at the moment, public schools are holding their own and doing very well, winning and out-competing in many cases with far less funding. So let's see what happens. Let's see what happens to the overall education system when everybody is funded equally. And I think we'll end up very proud of the result. Public school teachers have been running the system using in-kind support for too long and now we're starting to see them leaving in massive numbers, droves, to the point that the department doesn't want to reveal exactly what the teacher shortage is because it's too afraid of publicising the number. It must be 2,500 or more in 2024. Let the market decide, fund all schools equally and then the results will flow. Um, they certainly will and of course you, you reference the teacher shortage and, and the driving uh, motivation of the union at the moment is, isn't it, keep the teachers we've got, give them the, the sort of salary you need to retain them, give them the sort of salary that you need to get back some of these recently retired teachers or people who've dropped their hours because they simply can't stand the, the workload any longer, then start the process of getting people back in uh, to the system who've left it. And, and then look to the longer term, which is trying to find new teachers and attract them in because at the moment, even on a worldwide uh, campaign, 100 teachers, which is great and it's welcome, but, it, but it's, it's a drop in the ocean. Well, can you imagine any profession? It doesn't matter which one you think of. We often go to the immediate ones like medicine and, and law and things like that, but think of any profession where you lose your most experienced people and what that profession looks like quite quickly. We are losing the most experienced people 50 years and over, not 60 and over, 50 and over. And they are no longer in the same sort of numbers in the staff room to provide that support, that experience and expertise to the undergraduates that are now starting to fill our classrooms. Any profession would suffer. We need to use our common sense and do whatever we can to keep those people. And the only way that I understand we're going to do that is through salaries, making sure that that is competitive on a national scale and the conditions that we are expecting them to work by. Now, that can be addressed in this round of bargaining right now and the profession will be better off for it. And I suppose the issue is, is that the government needs to understand, the governments, both state and federal, need to understand that uh, currently teachers are uh, underfunded, overworked and they're over it. That's a lovely catch cry and I wish everyone would put that on a t-shirt and walk around the shopping centre with it because that's very much does summarise uh, the exhaustion and, and, and part of the exhaustion is why many people haven't returned to the classroom in 2024 that we had in 2022-23. Well, let's hope we can start to uh, reverse that with the help of government and uh, keeping up the good work. If you're an SSTUWA member, please make sure that you have not unsubscribed to our e-news. Um, understandable, when you get bombarded, we, we try to do one a week maximum. Um, and so please make sure you're, you're subscribed up to the uh, e-news. Uh, that's where the latest information will be coming from. Um, and it's all on our website at sstuwa.org.au. Matt Jarman, it's going to be a very busy year for you. Thank you very much for joining us on Western Teacher Live. Thanks, Bob. Are you aware of your SSTUWA member benefits? 
We've got you covered on a range of member benefits from entertainment to insurance and legal. Check out our benefits hub via sstuwa.org.au slash benefits.